Hey up, how's it going? It's Mark, you're listening to Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's a show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning into this episode, hope you enjoy it. I sure did, because I finally got to chat to the great Matt Warshaw, who's somebody I've wanted to get on the show for a good few years now. That's about how long we've been talking, actually, come to think of it. So it was great to finally meet Matt properly via the virtual means of Google Hangouts this time and have the following conversation with him. And it was everything that I hoped it would be. We're in life for territory with this one, something that regular listeners will understand and hopefully be uh, looking forward to. These episodes are always hugely popular with listeners because they provide an insight into how guests that aren't the big names, they're not the big pros, but they're equally as interesting as important to the culture, have carved out strange and unique careers in the industry for themselves. And in Matt's case, we really are in life for territory, not only because he's been working in this game for, well, most of his life as a surfer, journalist and writer, but because of his Encyclopedia of Surfing project, which is perhaps the ultimate lifer project, as the name suggests, the Encyclopedia of Surfing is Matt's Sisyphean attempt to document the history of surfing through the site of the same name. This is Dr. Johnson writing the dictionary territory, if you ask me. And to call this project a labour of love or a life's work would be to do it a grave injustice, which is something that I just did. This is a truly quixotic undertaking. Yes, I am rummaging around in the bag of adjectives for this one. That in essence can never be completed. And from speaking to him, I think Matt is completely happy with that reality. And, you know, if you ask me, it's what makes this project so unique and brilliant. Because with the Encyclopedia of Surfing, Surfing has found the perfect custodian of its culture and history. And Matt has found the perfect vehicle through which to make a living by dedicating himself to his life's passion, surfing and surf culture and history. It's the living embodiment of the thousand true fans theory of art and creativity, something we discussed in this episode. And in its Borhasian infinity, there's something truly surreal yet pure about the entire undertaking. So that's what we chatted about in a conversation that, like a river slowly making its way across a floodplain, meandered in its own slow, purposeful way. And I enjoyed it very much, as you can probably tell. We also chatted about not surfing, Matt's view that wave pools are undermining something essential at the heart of the culture, the importance of doing work you believe in for the sake of it, and plenty of other classic looking sideways themes. You might even call it a deep dive. Yeah, it's a good one, this. Grab a brew, settle back. Here's me and Matt Warshaw. Enjoy. What a pleasure to finally meet you after all this um, back and forth and... Uh, you know, email chat. It's uh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for doing it. Very much, very much, my pleasure, Matt. And who was the most um, who was the most colossally unprepared person you think you've ever <laughs> ever had to uh, do a pod with? That's that is a really good question, actually. It's normally me because um, I normally <laughs> try and try and like you know know enough to I- to have some things to talk about, but. <laughs> 
Oh, just, it's really, it's really to... common, you know, where people basically say, like, I say, have you listened, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Let's just have a chat. Eh? I just feel like, um, I just feel like I'm still competitive, competitive enough to want to do one better than whoever the worst, least, least prepared person was. So um, that's, that's what I'm shooting for here. But um, gosh, between everything that's happening and in the world and between me looking after my 10 year old um, and between me not having been in the water for as long as I have, I, it, it was so, there were so many things that, that I, I hadn't done to get ready for, ready for this. that I just sort of gave up. And so I, yeah, let's just talk. Yeah. I quite, I quite like that though. I quite like the fact it's become, yeah. you know, cause I, the way I approach this is, is very much like, let's just have a chat you know it's not like yeah. i'm approaching this as like a super right here's right. my list of questions and all that um and yeah like you say you've obviously had a very very hectic few months so how how are you getting on with that well i i suppose i suppose everyone's had a hectic few months right i mean um what what happened in the last few months that you know i don't know what it was my my fourth grader was sent home from school along with all the other fourth graders and all the other kids in, in seattle and across the uh country and across the world so that was interesting and that's actually been kind of great i i like having him around um my wife uh works at home she works at amazon so we have a we just remodeled our basement about a year ago so it really quickly kind of worked out where my wife is set up in the in the basement part of the house and then teddy is teddy's mostly in the on the ground floor and then i have the I have the top floor, right? So everyone's sort of doing their thing and Teddy's on his school Zoom calls and Jody's down uh, keeping us all in, in uh, you know, clothed and fed and insured. And I'm up here with my little hobby website. And then every, every, every 45 minutes or an hour, someone will shout out, hey, let's go for a walk. And, and then, you know, one, two or three of us will head out into the neighborhood and, and go for a walk. And I live in this, you know, beautiful neighborhood that, as far as I can tell, you know, kind of hasn't been touched in the least by what's happening out in the world. Um, in uh, here in, in Seattle, a neighborhood called Queen Anne, and it's been very strange. It's been a really weird bubble in that I'm constantly like to a point of having my brain overheated, just reading about the virus and about, you know, American politics and all that, and just always sort of at the, at the edge of my seat. Um, and then we leave the front door and hang a right and go for a walk and everything in this neighborhood couldn't look or be any nicer. There's no cars, there's no planes overhead. There's a little, there's a few now, but it's really quiet. Everybody's out working on their yards because everyone's home. And I think because it feels like a, you know, it's, it, even though it's not here, it still feels like a crisis and everyone's being extra nice to everybody. So we just go for these walks and it's, it's um, it's just been this. It's been oddly. It's really oddly peaceful in this neighborhood I'm in. You know, and then I come back in and and read read the headlines again and get all worked up. And then and then I go work on an encyclopedia or work on on the website. And that is my escape from everything. So it's yeah. It's been really. It's been a strange. It's been a strange period. And uh, you know, no end in sight, right? Yeah. I, I, the way I mean, I think you just described it the way we've described it, I think is probably really common for so many people. I mean, even down to 
the arrangements that you described with with your family because me and my wife have got a really similar setup, which is hilarious like we didn't quite have it dialed in the way that you guys obviously had it dialed but as the weeks have gone on i've ended up in the shed which is where i am now so the shed is now like my work studio space which is brilliant which is something that would never have happened my wife's like turned she's a, a carpenter she's turned the garage into like a, a woodwork studio and you know we've we've essentially also got that pattern that you describe him um and, and the other thing i would say as well is like that air of unreality that you're that you basically talked about where you know you go online and this is ridiculously febrile and you know like stressful atmosphere out there in the world but then my my actual day-to-day life is quite similar to to what you're describing it's actually it's been quite the routine's been quite nice you know like nothing much has really changed for us but then you, really you kind of feel don't you feel a little bit like then i feel a little bit guilty like here i am walking up and down my gorgeous street and it, again it's not touching me it doesn't it's not it's not survivors survivors guilt exactly but it does feel strange that it's so it feels so far removed although although yesterday was the first the first thing that happened um, where it was it seemed to take a step closer which was my son's best friend's older sister uh, their whole family went and got tested because they were out of uh, out of state for a week or so and three family members tested negative and then the sister, tested um not positive but it was a uh, what did they call it it was a non something um uh, yeah, i don't know what they call it, it there's, it, there's it, lots of different categories aren't there there's like the, right uh, but so like there's asymptomatic and then there's another one where like it's like a false positive maybe i think is so is that's what phrases. it was it was some kind of anyway so the the father uh my son's friend's father jay who i'm friends with jay called up and said hey matt just want to let you know we went and tested, and Kate tested. Um, I guess you know, I'll just call it non non negative. I think is what he said. So yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything quite yet. But it was like, God, if she does come back positive, then we have to start thinking about. So it was like the first time where um, where it where it felt uh, closer. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I've I've definitely like I've had like a good friend of mine's mum died of COVID. And, you know, like, the, like yeah. it's definitely, I think in the UK, because we're so, you know, the, the population dense, density is so high that there's definitely, like, I think everybody does know somebody that's been affected by it. And another right. interesting thing we've got over here is because, you know, how, like class obsessed we are over here. And right, right. The, the new the new marker of class, which I read the other day, is, is whether you can work from home or not. Yeah, like that 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 is that is basically the new working and middle class like if you can work from home you're middle class if you can't and you've actually got to get out there and put yourself in the in the firing line then you're you know you're a lower class which is you know that speaks that thing we're talking about doesn't it you know for for me and you kind of make a bit of a weird living anyway with what we do it you know we're pretty we are we have been privileged enough to kind of just blissfully continue to bimble around a little bit really you know right well, that's where it all fades. That's where it all fades into, you know, what's happening with sort of, you know, with civil rights right now. I mean, it all, it all sort of, all these problems seem to kind of sort of merge at some point. And uh, I don't know, you know, I don't, I, we're going to get on too far off the track here, but it's, you know. Oh, there's no the, track. The, far, far yeah, away. Well, <laughs> well no, it's, it, it, the track is just that I don't want to be the surfer who's um, um, pontificating about uh, politics too much. It, I'll just say that, like, I sit here again. I've got I've got a, 
all these hours in the day to, to fill and um, I can work on the site a lot. I've got a huge stamina for that and I, I've got a lot of time for my wife and kid, but that still leaves a lot of hours to obsessively uh, obsessively scroll through the New York Times and CNN and everything else and just feel like we're living in a period unlike anything in my lifetime and, and maybe anything ever. And it's got me um, um, just on high. I feel like I'm, I'm on high alert at all times of the day, except for when I'm just start sort of out walking and trying to not think about it or when I'm working on the website. Otherwise, I'm, my brain just, just sort of, I'm always sort of half on fire. So anyway, you know, I, I, can, I mean, I can, I can totally, I can totally understand that because from the outside, it looks like almost a perfect storm of ingredients over there. I mean, we've all got it. You know, this, this situation right. is definitely, has definitely shone a very harsh light on any, anything that's wrong with your society. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Or, or anything that needs needs looking at and but over there it look, you know it looks like it really is the perfect combination of things to really you know every every systemic issue that's been kind of buried is now coming to to the fore well that's that is the silver lining i think and that in in one of the things that feels really super interesting about this moment right now is that there's this kind of collective uh breath holding in a way until november when we vote because um November, I think, is going to sort of make or break things in a in a pretty in a pretty big way, and and so as much as there's a lot of despair and anger uh, and fear in this country, and I think around the world, but especially in America right now, there's there's a feeling too um, that there's huge possibility to address a lot of things that haven't been addressed for ever, you know, uh, starting with, and, and November does not solve by any means solve things, but November is the point where you, um, hopefully begin to turn it around and, and start and go and go into a new direction. So, and I, and, and I do think that that, um, that sense of we're on the verge of something really, really, a really big change is, is you, you can really feel that. And, uh, um, I, I'm terrible at, at telling the, at, you know, pr- making predictions and, but, but I do think that, uh, November could be the beginning of something, um, really so you important. Feel like you feel like there's a reckoning on the way, essentially. I, I do, I do. I, but I, I would, I've been wrong so many times on, on things like this that, um, I don't know how far to sort of extend myself is how confident I feel. And I, and again, four months in this time that we're living in is a long, long time. Um, so, and then, you know, to bring this back to sort of surf is like, again, you can, I, I just get sputtery and freaked out about it all. And then what I usually do when I start feeling about the way I am right now is I, uh, I go into the, you know, the back end of EOS and I pick up what I'm working on. So, you know, today I'm working on Mark Cunningham's EOS page, the, the North Shore body surfer whose EOS page has been criminally absent ever since the site's been up uh he was in the book but you know so then i'm going to do two or three different things on mark cunningham this week and i put all this you know i put all my focus into doing those pages and that that's that's my uh that's my uh not my sedative exactly but that's what calms me down is is taking it takes my focus and puts it on something uh you know sort of productive and worthy and 
I love Mark Cunningham, and I saw him at a at a trade show last year, and he gave me a box of macadamia nuts and said, "I love your website." And I said, "Thanks, Mark." And he actually, it was a really funny story. I was in Florida in Orlando, maybe it was two years ago, um, and I've sort of known Mark on and off for a long time, uh, not well, but enough to say hello. And he also was at this trade show. He was flogging uh, swim fins or something, um, and I think he's newly married, and I think he might even have a. a uh, a young kid. I could be wrong about that, but you know, he and I bonded a little bit over getting married late in late in life, and um, and he was. I don't know if you've ever met him. He's just the friendliest, nicest guy. Um, and he goes, "Oh, I've been meaning to send you a donation." And he kind of looks around in a little bit of a panic, and he reaches into his backpack and he pulls out this funky old uh, Velcro wallet, you know, like we used to have when I was in high school. Like you hear him. He goes, rip, yeah, he, opens yeah, up yeah. His Vil- he opens up his Velcro wallet and he digs around and he gives me his only bill. He had a 20. He goes, here, just take this. And I'm so stoked. And I go, oh, man, that's OK. And he goes, no, don't take it. And he goes, that's not enough. And he looks around some more. And then he reaches into his backpack and he he rummages around and brings out a box of uh, macadamia nuts. You know, the classic, <laughs> yeah, the classic yeah. last minute, the classic last minute gift when you're at the Honolulu airport. And he goes, take this, too. <laughs> so I just said, thanks, Mark. That's fantastic and and i walked away with a 20 dollar bill and a box of macadamia nuts well wow, um i was yeah i was super stoked so I, I don't mean to say that he bought me off like he didn't pay for his eos <laughs> page it was way yeah. overdue but pay, uh, a, year, a year later i'm finally getting around to uh to um posting his page it's funny you know when i did the book version of eos i didn't i never had to think much about images because I don't know if you've ever seen the book. It's a big giant. Yeah, yeah, no, I know the book. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's just, it's just endless column and column after column after column of text. And every now and then, like every fourth page, there's a little crummy little like three by three black and white picture. So, you know, when I did the website, a, a really, you know, the whole point almost was to put all of the visuals to to what I was, I'd, I'd, done, all, I'd done most of the writing part of it, but I'd failed because of the medium i couldn't do anything with the visuals so it's like um the last whatever it's been now um 10 years working on the website largely has just been catching up on pictures and video that go with the words but it's really hard uh I can't, it's hard to put up a page unless i've got enough photos and mark um what i really wanted was he there was a video that came out i can't think of the name of it like a little mini documentary on mark cunningham i think it was in maybe 89 and he's got a VHS uh, copy of it and he keeps promising to send it to me and he keeps saying uh, I, he keeps apologizing for forgetting but I really want to post this video thing you know anything from the 80s is usually it's I think it's 20 something minutes long but they're usually really fun to watch and uh, I don't have it and I couldn't I couldn't not post his page without having it I mean I didn't I couldn't wait any longer to get it you know so yeah. I went with the photos I have but um, it's a little bit difficult with Mark because, like, and this is a little bit snobby for me, but like body surfing pictures to me, like, you know, if I have six pictures of Mark body surfing, they all kind of look a little bit the same. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all the body surfers out there, but you know, I found some really, I found some really fa- funny candid shots of him. And the object is to get six images of, for any EOS page. I want six shots. And I just finished yesterday and the, actually Mark's EOS page just went up yesterday. So, um, anyone listening can go out and have a look at that. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. And, and that's, I haven't been surfing for, God, you know, months. I live in Seattle and 
I kind of made this vow a couple of years ago to quit surfing cold water. And we'll come back to this topic in a second. But, you know, what my my experience with surfing these days, by and large, is just losing myself in the in the site. Um, why, why did you make that decision? Because, uh, I mean, I you know, like that decision was so notorious to the point that when you did go surfing, Beach Grit ran a, ran know, a story, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I, um, well, what, what was it, what was that about? Like, why did you why did you make that call? It's a, uh, uh, let's see, how do I start to answer it? When I, when I was eight years old and started surfing, it was all I wanted to do, like all of us, right? And, and then uh, let's just jump ahead um, 40 years. <laughs> That's still all I wanted to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, by various means, um, honorable and not honorable, um, and to the, you know, to the good part of my life and also sort of to the detriment of my life, I, I was able to surf more or less whenever I wanted from age eight till um, 49. I mean, right? which, is a, which is a great run. I mean, let's be honest. Huge, right. And, and you know, and, and, and I, I did so much. I, I, was a, I was a B-grade pro surfer. I, was, um, I worked at Surfer Magazine and I wrote books and I traveled, I got paid to travel and do crappy travel stories, which, um, you know, I hated, I was so bad. I'm only laughing because I've, I've got a chapter of that in my past as well. That's the only reason I'm laughing at that. So I, I, the, I definitely, the travel, the travel gig was just felt so dirty. I would just, you want to, Hey, you want to go to, um, do you want to, do you want to go to Chile and South America? Yeah, I'd love to. And, and like, Oh, you got to write an article. Okay. I'd love to. And then I, I you know, the, I, I had nothing to write. We went, we were paid to go surf, waves and be take shuttled around by people who wanted to make us have let us have a great time and there was there was literally nothing to say it wasn't it wasn't like they did it uh in the 60s and 70s where you got in your vw bug and had an adventure we were just yeah we were you're just shown, flown, flown down shown and shown the everything. Face on, yeah yeah exactly and then i had you. to write it yeah. so those you know of all the things i've written those are the ones i wish i could uh banish from the record anyway uh Finally, at 49, I became a father. I got married at 45 and became a dad at 49. And that kind of uh, was, that would, I won't say that was the beginning of the end of me being full-time because for a few years before that, I was already feeling like I'd maybe, I was, I was sort of repeating myself a little bit. But anyway, having, having my son just sort of put the brakes on it a bit made me question, you know, do I really want to be doing this to the degree that I am? And then when my wife got the... Uh, offered it, uh, to, to move up here to Seattle when she got the job offer at Amazon and they just dropped a, you know, a truckload of money on her. Um, that's not actually true. It, in, not, not in these days anyway, but it, it was enough money that we couldn't, she couldn't say no. And yeah, sure. I really, I really dug my heels in. I can't do this, you know, just out of, just out of sheer sort of stubbornness and, and being a full-time surfer. That was, that's my, that's my, that's who I am. And yeah, it's my and, identity. Uh, Right. And I think that's it. You know, I was really kind of scared to let that go. Uh, and I had a long talk with my uh, dad about it after I told Jody no. And and, and we got in the first real fight we'd ever uh, been in up to that point where, you know, like old school sitcom stuff where I'm going to go sleep on the couch and she's in the <laughs> other room, just won't talk to me. And, and I had a long talk with my dad the next day. And um, he's always been my uh, sort of main uh, advice giver and and I think I was ready to hear what he said, but 
in other words, he didn't necessarily convince me. There was part of me I think was ready to say, but he said, look, I think you should go up there and give it a try. You can come back if you want to. So anyway, we moved to Seattle and that was, that was it. You know, like the Amazon does this thing where they say, we, 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 we want you to come work for us. Um, we need you here in three weeks. So it happens really, really fast. And so three weeks later, I was not at X surfer exactly, but that time of my life where I could had the choice of going, being able to surf every day was, was over. And what a surprise. It was actually really easy. I was, um, I was relieved, you know, so I was gonna, I was, and, that's the word, that's the word I was going to ask you. Sorry to jump in there, but that, that, that's so interesting because you've, you talk about it as like a self-identity thing. And it's also, it sounds like it's like, you know, there's got to be some control in there as well. Right. You know, like this, this sort of like the way that you see yourself, your self-perception, your self-image. So I guess that was the question I was going to ask, like, how did it feel? And you used the word relief. That's, that's really interesting. Was it, was it almost because you felt liberated not to play that role anymore after so long? That's part of it for sure. And I, I, I mean, a really big part of it was, um, that I was, when we moved here, I was, um, 51 or 50, I think. And, you know, because I'd never taken a break all that time and because I'm my, my body, I, I'm fit or I was fit. Um, I would, you know, I, I didn't really experience any kind of notice. Like I just sort of, for a long time, like in my thirties and my, most of my forties, I was actually still sort of getting a little bit better, I think. Um, it, parts of my surfing anyway, but two or three years before that, I could see that it was um, starting to sort of tail off a bit. And um, it was so That's frustrating for for me so, to see that. Sobering realization, isn't it, that one? Right. And it also made me, it really it really bothered me to realize how, in a, in a way, um, dependent my surfing experience had always been on my, how well I was surfing. I, I was never quite able to, I, I really I enjoyed everything that we're supposed to enjoy about surfing. All of the you know the aesthetic, the the the, the companionship, all that. But it always came after I had been able to prove to myself, as I had to like daily, that I was still good at it. So everything that was everything, all the nicer parts of surfing were available to me only if I was surfing well and. That seems, you know, you shouldn't, that, at 51, like, that's stupid, right? I mean, why would you, and yet it's 60, so when I still surf now, it's, I, I can't I can't shake that. When I surf now on, you know, crappy borrowed boards in somebody else's wetsuit, I'm still trying to surf well, and it's just, it's just dumb. And I, I, I'm i still struggling to try to, you know, how do I get over that? Um, um, and how, anyway, the, the well, I think right. it's a theme. It's a theme of aging, that though, isn't it? Because because it's like it, I think whatever, whatever, you know, whether it's a physical. Th- I mean, and and its first manifestation is in 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 your your physical ability, isn't it? You know, like this, right. the, where, where you can't, you just can't do what you used to be able to do. You know, to put it that that simply. I mean, I have it with um, snowboarding, which is something that I've done my whole life. How, how old are you, Matt? I'm forty four. And yeah. every time, every time I go, I get worse, <laughs> you know, like, so, and, and I, and I, and I totally empathize what you're saying because sometimes I find myself not enjoying it for that exact right. reason that you just described. And you're aware that it's ludicrous. You know, it's an ego thing, obviously going on and it's silly because it's still fundamentally a really enjoyable thing to do. But for whatever reason, um, 
you can't bring yourself to get the same thing out of it that you used to do. And especially when you're talking about these activities where, you know, the whole point is supposed to be that it's not about ego. It's, you know, your own progression, all that stuff, which, you know, is true to a point. But I just think for me personally, it's been a, it, you know, ultimately what's happening is I'm getting older and I don't really like it. <laughs> and like, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to kind of square it really, you know. It yeah, is. It, that's, well, that's, yeah. And, and so the last few years since we've moved up here, um, apart from a few, so what I, what I, a couple of years ago, there was, I had this sort of moment. Um, I moved up here with, I don't know, six boards or something or whatever. And, and the nearest wave, um is sort of three hours away so at first i was thinking well i'll just go down there still it's not you know i can still do a day trip out of that and i had a couple of friends up here who really guided me who gave me a really nice soft landing i have a i want to say shout out to jeremy sterling because a friend of mine he's this guy that i knew and he has a second home like a little cabin out there at a at the nearest uh, break and it's this funky little a-frame thing the surf shack and and you know one morning not long after i landed here flew in and moved here jeremy said uh hey we're gonna go surfing i'm gonna introduce you around he you know he picks me up in his big truck um and we drive down there into into this thing and I, it was just all so easy and set up for me and i go oh this is great i'm gonna be able to sort of do this and um it's a it's a tough that that, that wave i'm talking about sort of a tough beach break and and i did it i went out there for a couple of years with jeremy now and then and I realized after you know 20 years of surfing in San Francisco, which was a similar wave to the wave I've been surfing up here, I'd started surfing up here. Um, really, really cold water beach break surf where it's pretty big, where you're you know some huge portion of your session is just duck diving one <laughs> after the other, cold water. I I just thought God, I'm too old to be doing this, and I did it for three or four years. And then at some point, um, I'd actually put all my boards down at Jeremy's house. And, I, and at some point, I just said, just, you know, keep them. Whoever wants to ride them can use them. And then I kind of ceremoniously, like three years ago, took this five, this hooded 5.4 that I'd been using all these years. And it was getting kind of funky. So it wasn't that, it wasn't like I was uh, throwing away my LP collection. That's another <laughs> thing I'd, I'd done a long time ago that I regret. I just took my wetsuit out and I put it in the trash and I said, I'm done surfing in cold water. Like I, I'm just too old to be doing that. And I said, well, my surf life from now on is going to be twice a year and, in, in, you know, in Mexico or Costa Rica or somewhere yeah. warm, you know, warm. That's where old people should surf is in warm spots. Yeah, so, yeah. and then what happened, uh, it was about a year ago. Jody said, well, what do you want to do for your 60th birthday? I turned, I turned 60 in May. And I said, well, I just want to, Actually, what I want to do is go down to Costa Rica and and just go surfing for a few days and and see how I do and and so that was the plan, you know. And 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 then the virus hit and everything sort of shut down. And I'm thinking, God, there's not going to be a um, there's not going to be a, a vaccine here for probably two years, and I'm not going to not surf because despite everything I've just said about how I feel about it and how frustrating surfing is. It's, it's really important to me still to be able to tell myself and others that I can still actually do it. Again, back to the whole sort of ego thing. But Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So when I went to Costa Rica last year, two or three days of just being a total kook. But at some point, I got, to, uh, I, got a, I got a wave and I was on, my feet were underneath me correctly. And I surfed this wave 
uh, not well, but I surfed it to a way that I felt appropriate to, you know, where I've been. And at one point at the end, I was going fast and I pulled off the back and all of the good feeling, everything that I love about surfing sort of came back to me in those moments. Like I remember literally looking up and sort of the horizon and the people out there and knowing that there, you know, there's more waves coming and everything came back to me about how much I love to ride waves, right? So in that moment, I thought, well, it's actually worth me going out and struggling, uh, being frustrated with the whole experience. It, if I can just pick off a few of those in a in a one-week trip, you know, all I need. And it, again, it's not me getting spit out of a big tube. It's not me yeah. doing anything. It's just feeling a bit of a rhythm and a bit of glide and feeling like I didn't, like I, like I did it uh, well. Like, you know, I did it adequately. Yeah. yeah, well, it's that, that it's that, it's not... that relation. It's that relation, isn't it, between the the old feeling that you had and and seeing that glimmer of it again, isn't it? It, it it's just yeah. It just sort of it just sort of was my. Uh, it was just like a, a connection back to how I felt for all those years before. And I go, I'll take it. That was wonderful. I, that's great. So that's what I was looking forward to doing this last May for my birthday. And then again, virus hit, and my response was interesting. Like I, uh, I got kind of pissed off that the virus had taken away that I just wanted to do this one stupid indulgent thing. I wanted to fly to Costa Rica and, and flog myself for three days until I got that wave again. And then, you know, more or less, and then fly home and I couldn't do it. And it, you know, I, I was being told that I couldn't do it. And, and, and it, my response was to buy a new wetsuit. So I'm in my closet here right now. I've got a, a brand new, uh, hooded five three smelling up this whole room I'm sitting in with that you know that new wetsuit smell and I'm gonna go back down with Jeremy and next time it's <laughs> next time it's shoulder high and and uh, and nice. uh, and clean and you know and and start start surfing again and try to you know again work on this problem we're talking about of not caring too much about it so I kind of want to have this new I want a little reset here for myself as a cold water as a cold water surfer. Um, just almost out of spite, like fuck! You can't tell me I can't surf, right? I'm, I'm still gonna. I'm not like I'm not like those. Guys, I'm not like the guys in Orange County who are like, eh, it's you know, it's not an infringement on my liberty. I'm just saying, like, I still want to get in the water. Yeah. Um, so yeah. anyway, I. It's I'm not, strong enough. It's strong enough that it's well, and also like you say that that word spite is interesting as well, isn't it? Because it's yeah, you, you've clearly got unfinished business. Like, I mean, I, I remember I was in yeah. I was in the Maldives about four years ago, and there was a guy. It's it's really interesting. He was seventy, and he was um, maybe a bit older. Actually, maybe about seventy-five. And he was like, you know, he was he was surfing, like obviously, uh, you know, getting towards the end of his life. And he's he <laughs> I, I I had I had the conversation a similar conversation with him where he said he'd been exactly through what you're talking about. He said he'd give he'd, he'd given up, you know, for a good few years where he'd and he'd been so frustrated because he just couldn't get to that level that he'd that he'd been at um and he described it as like a real necessary part of it you know that he oh. that, that, and his answer in the end was like you know what i'm gonna surf bigger boards in warm water and uh, it, and that'll exactly. do well it's still even that the the compromised lesser version of surfing is for me anyway better than like I've started uh, skiing a little bit because my son skis and um, we went skiing a few times this year and like um, I, 
was, that was another thing that happened actually that made me want to surf was I went skiing and I thought, God, I remember I used to be so much more defensive about how great surfing is when I was younger because it's the thing I did and I wanted everyone to think how you know, great it was and to prove that I hadn't sort of wasted my life doing it and everything. And, and I kind of get, I've kind of given that up by and large, but when I went skiing with Teddy, as fun as it was, um, part of me was just going, God, I was right all those years. Surfing is, you know, it's, it's, I'd rather be a really shit surfer and just get a few, a couple of waves and have to spend whatever thousands of dollars to go somewhere warm where I don't have to wear a wetsuit to do it. And just then to drive 40 minutes away from my house whenever I want to do this, which was to, you know, to ski, which is fun, but, um, not, it's not in the, you know, I still have, I still really have this, uh, it turns out, this deep down uh, like uh, feeling for, for surfing that, it, and, and this is it's this deep down belief that it is a singular, you know, an amazing and uh, just incredible thing to do. A credible waste of time, the best waste of time. Well, tell me about the encyclopedia because, you know, you mentioned the book and you mentioned the website and clearly what you've got on your hands there is like an endless life's work. Right. You know, when I right. when I when I when I look at um, your output, you know, and I, I'm pretty familiar with your career and your writing, you know, as I think most most consumers of surf media are, and I think what strikes me is is the the vastness of the enterprise that you've taken on, and and like the endlessness of it, which I, as as a writer myself, and you know, somebody who's also like really protective of. And, and interested in the culture and and you know the history i i almost envy in a way because it's because it's you know you can never finish it you can never right. so how 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 does i guess i've got two questions on that like how how did it start and where does it end <laughs> the, <laughs> just the, those the start of it is um i quit surfer magazine at the end of 1990 i think i had the shortest the shortest ever tenure as editor. And I've been telling people I've been the editor at Surfer for, I guess that's 30 years now, right? But, and I never, what I never say is that I was editor, I think for only eight months. Um, because by the time they'd made me editor, I'd already made this decision that I wanted to go back to school. And I took the editor position um, mostly because I knew even at 29, even though I wanted out, I knew that I wanted to be able to say that I was the editor of Surfer, right? It's, it just seemed like yeah. that had been something I'd, I'd wanted since I was really little. And I thought so highly of Drew Campion, who was the editor at Surfer when I was a kid. And I just wanted to be, be able to say that I was the editor. And so I had this eight-month period where I was the editor. And I actually really enjoyed being the editor of Surfer. But I already had a foot out the door. So I went off to school for two years and undergrad, because I'd never, I'd never finished college. I dropped out. So I finished college, decided I was going to go into history. I got into a PhD program at UCLA in Los oh, Angeles. Right, okay. to, yeah. And that, <laughs> that lasted my, my days as a, uh, as a grad student lasted, I think, three and a half weeks. And I just scurried. I, I, I did my... My, those two years, I when I when I left Surfer, I went up to um, San Francisco, actually Oakland, and I was at uh, UC Berkeley. Um, 
Got into UCLA, moved to LA, three and a half weeks of school, and then I could not wait to get back up to San Francisco. So I ran back up to San Francisco. So I did two. I moved twice in six months. It was a right. it was a joke. But I was really relieved and really uh, convinced that I I I'd looked into that uh, to academia enough to know that it wasn't for me. I would have been a terrible uh, scholar, I think. Um, and then. Uh, so I'm up there at 30, age, I think 33, and I was just freelancing some stuff. And I did a couple of books, I think, at that point. And again, I'm having a conversation with my dad, as you know, I, I do on a weekly basis. And I'd, I'd said some kind of, I'd, be, I'd begun collecting surfer magazines at that point. And I think this is before I started databasing everything. But, you know, I was just sort of beginning to, be get, to get sort of obsessive about loading up my home office. And I made some half joking remark about how I, you know, could beat anybody in surf trivia or I knew more about surfing than anybody or something. And he said, because I was sort of cast I'd been casting about for a project, he goes, You should write an encyclopedia. And I went, ha ha ha, and he went, ha ha ha. And then, you know, a few months later I had my a proposal for the Encyclopedia of Surfing, which went nowhere. Um, and then I think three years later or something, uh, I redid the proposal and sold it to uh, Harcourt. So the book, the book version of Encyclopedia was my dad's idea. Uh, but it fit me because uh, I, it, it turns out that I have zero problem. In fact, I really like uh, projects that sort of don't end or projects that have really, really, really long um, uh, pe- periods of development. I mean, I spent, I think I spent 18 months the right when I got my signing check for encyclopedia doing nothing but databasing all my surf magazines just paging through and because you know if i'm going to do a piece if i'm going to do a thing on on um jeff crawford from florida i don't want to have to be paging through magazines going i think there was a piece in surfing magazine in 73 i I need to know it's like you know it's like going into the library you don't you don't just need the books you have to go to the to the um the card system yeah. whatever they have the, the, can, can so let's ask a quick quick very quick question yeah yeah then. so yeah. like what what did that look like did you I'm, I'm i'm a geek on this stuff did you did you you literally created a, your own sort of database system uh, and way of a way of cross i did yeah yeah um I'm, why am i spacing on the name of the program i use it's the really famous one um filemaker pro i bought you know whatever current version of filemaker pro was out in so it would have been in, um, I think, 99. And, you know, if you, if you created, you know, databases are really easy to create and, and um, you just create these different, you know, it's too boring. I, it's too boring yeah, to yeah, talk no, about. It's, but, it's, it's a habit though, but, isn't it? Like ultimately, it, you know, so like to, but, to, but to, once to, you start, fill, once you to st- fill that info in and like to start But once you start doing it, so like once I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just database all my surfers. I had a whole collection of surfers. And like once you start doing it, and you see that at a at a few keystrokes you can get. And, and so I, let me make this clear: I wasn't scanning pages. You're yeah, paging no, I, through I, a magazine. I, yeah, I and, and you know yeah, it's the references. And so and so you know once you can, once you can get all of the material that it's in your room, like I can get all six articles on Mickey Mignot's after a four second search. It's it's really hard to describe to people that aren't. Again, like, you know, I, the geek in me salutes the geek in you on this. But, you know, when you can do that, 
you can't imagine not being it's it's like a it's like a geek superpower right so <laughs> well I got, it really it really shows in in the work you know the depth and this is the reason i asked the question because the the depth of what you do is so evident and, but it's funny you know, because the, like it's the, the people the weight people mistake, of it is, is really evident yeah people mistake me people mistake mistakenly think that I have depth and I don't I just have a deep database you know so it's like I can it when you can do that you can appear to be sort of have depths that you you might not have so I just happen to be the person that is able to sit and do that for uh for months or years at a time and you know I'm still the database project itself is never finished I'm still I'm still building that out um anyway so once the database was done uh, the encyclopedia itself was like I I I, uh, I think I, I worked backwards from, I think it was 750,000 words and I cut that up into, into, into sizes. And then I filled it. It was like, uh, I re I reverse engineered it from, I think three quarters of a million words down to, uh, 1200 entries. And I had to figure out how long each entry was going to be to get to 750,000 words. And again, that's all sort of done with databasing and some really rudimentary, um, not statistics exactly, but just, just figuring out adding up numbers to get to that that big number and then it was just like writing i wrote 1200 short little articles right from 50 words to a thousand words 50 words for the um, you know wetsuit booties or something and a thousand words for for uh for tom curran and and um that was the, that was the book and the minute the book was done it was already becoming dated you know so i went ahead and did history of surfing just to get that out of my system and um, right about when Jody was uh, pregnant with Teddy, when I was finishing up history, um, it was becoming easier. I can't remember the, um, I guess, I can't remember what platform it was, but it was just becoming easier to, to create uh, web, uh, websites in which you could lo really load up lots of sort of high-res photos and, 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 and videos. So it became uh, obvious that I should make it into a website. And then, you know, the thing there was no one's giving me an advance to do it. So, they, you know, yeah. the whole struggle to make it pay for itself is ongoing. Um, but, you know, that's... that's So uh, to get back to what you said earlier, yeah, it's huge. And, and, and the, the thing is, it's not just all, this, all the material that I've got, but at this point, however many years I'm into the sort of EOS... The time, the amount of time that EOS has been out there, and uh, and people know know it, and, and mostly like it. Um, everybody knows that I'm doing this sort of non-profit. I made this little non-profit business out of it, and that I take a tiny yeah. little salary to do it, and and that's shitty for my income. But it's been great that almost everybody has allowed me to use their stuff because they like they like the site and they like the book. So I have this. Uh, Ace in the hole doesn't even begin to describe the advantage that I have in, in being able to use Art Brewer's photos and John Severson's film and Kai Neville's yeah. film and everybody. I get to use almost everything. I have and 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 nobody, you know, so um it's it's amazing. And, and so on one hand, it's like it is it's a, it's a huge amount of stuff that I've put out there. But if you pull back and look at what the the what the the mission sort of is, it's a fraction of what ought to be on there you know and yeah it's still just me and i have a guy in uh bristol mark oj who's my dev guy and just my basically my partner on this project 
and another guy in Southern California named Brad Barrett, who helps me um, just sort of load load pages. But it's a you know it's still it's still just a tiny tiny little operation. And again, the advantages that I can sort of use almost whatever I want. The disadvantages there's it's not even it's a bottleneck. There's I can't get enough stuff up there fast enough, you know. And yeah, it's okay. I, I don't lose too much sleep over it. I've got two thousand subscribers. I'd like to have quadruple that you know um but the people that like it really like it and um the thing that i started doing about two years ago that's been especially fun is the sunday joint and so a big part of my work week not a big part but almost all of monday is just me interacting with people who respond to the sunday joint so that's it's my you know my 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 work satisfaction is just through the roof i've never i've never been happier with 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 the work even though it it's a little bit overwhelming to realize that it's it's it'll never even be two percent finished it's always going to be incredibly incomplete yeah well that's what's so fascinating about it and i think that's what confers it a bit of a moral authority as well which is presumably why people are you know buying into it so heavily whether it's the subscribers or the contributors that then use film and video I guess the question I've got about it is, you know, surf history is so contentious is probably the wrong word, but like there's a lot of opinions about it. And obviously when you set yourself up to be the steward of that, as, right. as you know, as you effectively have, there's a real fine line, isn't there, between honoring that history, but also editorializing. Right. So, right. so, so like how, how difficult is that tightrope to walk? Because, because you know, what I'm getting at in, in in surfing culture that that is a that is a thing, isn't it? You know, there's 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 a history, and there's the the people are protective of that. So, but but as you said, there's so many untold stories, and there's so much to this. So so has that been difficult to kind of balance that? It's hugely difficult, and 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 my um, my cop out that, that I that I sort of this card that I play all the time, if it gets sometimes if it or not all the time, but is, um, I will say, I, you know, I'll put that on the, uh, somebody will say something like, why isn't so-and-so on, on the site or, and I'll say, um, that's someone that should be on the, that sh- they should be on there. I'll put it on the to-do list and I'll say, follow that by saying it's, it's a really long list. Um, so it, you know, it's like I mean, that, again, I, I, and I, I, it's a ter- it's a terrible answer, but I can't. It's also that you know, I can't. Uh, let me think about how. Let me think about this. It's it gets. I'd have to I'd have to think of something specific. Like we'd have to get we'd have to touch on something sort of specific for me to say, you know, how I why I did or didn't sort of respond to that. Um, I think that because because I'm having to still fill in pretty big fundamental parts of surf history and not so much off on the fringes, but I want to get back to the fringe part of it in a second. Cause that's I, like, I'm not really trying to do a uh, radically sort of revised history of surfing. Um, it's still the same, you know, you'll pick a number of thousand people and few hundred events that sort of define this thing. Yeah. Um, and then now and then we'll sort of revisit something and think about like um, I've kind of I've kind of pegged down Tom Blake a little bit, for example, who's a pretty, you know, who's a foundational figure in surf. And 
the kind of the more I've looked into his, what Blake did and his contributions, it's not that they weren't massive, but it, it, there was, there were things that he did, like, you know, with the hollow surfboard, for example, that were, that were, uh, uh, a dead end, you know, like the hollow surfboard that was anyway. So like I'll now, and then I'll come in and sort of say, hold up, maybe we can rethink this a little bit, but you know, I'm not out to by and large, not out to, um, sort of rewrite this in any way. Um, I, I also, but I, you know, I also don't put anybody too high on a, on a pedestal or if, usually when I put someone on a pedestal, it'll, so there's two voices I have on, on the whole site. There's the kind of historical third person thing where I, that's the voice I've got for EOS and for history of surfing. And then the blog posts and some of the interview pieces and that it's more my own voice. And I will put people on my own sort of personal pedestals like, uh, I've always I've always had a thing for Barry Kanayapuni of Hawaii, for example. And but you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sort of make heroes out of sort of anybody. I'm I'm sort of beyond that. So I don't. Uh, I think that I think that I can do history in a way that's sort of more true. I want to present people for uh, and the sport sort of for who it is, better and worse. Um, yeah. And you know I'm not. In other words, I'm not trying to. Def- I don't. I'm not trying to defend surfing anymore or promote surfing anymore. Sure. It's more interesting to me just to sort of say this is this is sort of my take at least on on what this whole thing has meant and and why it's interesting and why it's laughable and <laughs> and uh, and these are the people that have experienced it and 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 um, see what you think. Do you, do you how often do you discover new stories that just haven't been given anywhere near? the amount of attention that you feel they should have done because obviously like that kind of unseen narrative thing is a real topic right now you know um just generally in society this conversation is right you know that there's there's a there's a chosen narrative that we all choose and that, that we all adhere to and so and surfing definitely has that surfing definitely has this this you know uber overarching narrative so i, I guess with the amount of research you're doing and the amount of digging you're doing you must be finding some of these some of these unseen stories that just have never been given the due. I think, I think it's more like you'll come across uh, a moment or a surfer or something that wasn't um, forgotten, but maybe underemphasized. And the one that comes to mind is um, in the uh, early days of the short surfboards where all the, all the attention for forever went to uh, Bob McTavish and, and Greeno and that young and that's not wrong but but there was this whole thing that was sort of happened at that same moment where midget ferelli who was sort of the generation prior was sort of his contribution to short surfboards got really depressed for a while and so it turns out that midget was doing much the same thing that bob mctavish was and in fact they were they used to go out surfing they didn't like each other um in 67 i don't think mm-hmm. But they were going, they were making boards and wherever they were making boards and test riding them at the same beach, a hundred yards down from each other. And, right. and Bob okay. McTavish is working on these V bottoms and looking up the beach and seeing Midget on some kind of board that he, you know, Bob couldn't quite make out what the board was, I suppose. But, you know, they're both, they're both making their boards smaller and they're both doing all these refinements and neither one quite knows what the other's doing. And, and, you know, it turns out that midget's boards were probably better. And Bob, 
I think because he was surfing with Nat Young and because he was just in with the right people, and Midget made this point endlessly later in his life, Midget had the the surf media behind him. He had the Witzig brothers and he had uh, Drew Campion and he had all of the cool tastemakers were just loved uh, McTavish, Nat Young, and Greeno. And so that became the 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 narrative that we've sort of told ourselves. And then Brewer comes into it too, but that's a I don't want to get sidetracked on that. But you know, it, it looks like it looks like um, Midget Ferrelli was, you know, making better boards and probably surfing them better in this period that we never give him credit for. Midget's kind of thought of as the guy that was that won the sixty four world titles and he was you think of Midget as this longboard surfer and he might have done his best surfing and I think without question was doing his making the uh, doing his best uh, board making in this period, 67, 68, 69, that we associate with a different group of people. So it's almost like I don't find, uh, I don't often find um, undiscovered sort of bits of surf history or, or themes. You just find things that have been underplayed or overplayed. Yeah, um, you can look at it from a different angle and, and understand perhaps how decisions or coverage or whatever it was led to the narrative that we have now as it were yeah right and it, you know and it gets it becomes really interesting in that you know, uh midget was a dour um kind of uh qu- quiet sort of cynical person uh in a lot of ways not and 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 mctavish was just the opposite really outgoing really fun really talkative and it's like, so, you know, surf history gets ended, ended up being sort of uh, filtered through or it comes to us because of who uh, was speaking it at a certain time. And and uh, Midget was really flawed in a lot of ways, but he wasn't wrong to say that um, the way that whole period ended up being presented was a bit um, bent, you know, um, yeah. and he... I don't think he necess- he didn't necessarily say it should have been me, but he said that those guys, and you know, if you've ever met or talked with uh, Nat Young, especially who was for a while there was, was Bob McTavish's, um, they, that one year in particular, 67, when they brought the V, when they took the V bottoms to Hawaii, you know, they were kind of a team and, you know, Nat Young really kind of owns that, that, period that late 60s period and he's overwhelming you know if you're in his presence it's it's intimidating and it's um kind of uh you're in a, you're in this glow if he's in if he's in a good mood you're with somebody who is I mean literally larger than life and he yeah and he was every bit of you know every bit as important and a great a surfer as we've all given him credit for but his presence was so overpowering that you can see where it would it would literally kind of bend history in his direction, right? So, yeah, it's that whole like history is written by the victors kind of line, isn't it? You know, which right. is just true true for any any field, isn't it? I guess that's why I asked the question really, because at this point now, you know, you've got such a platform and responsibility to be able to to correct that. If you know, if 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 correct it is the right word, but almost you know, almost a better better analogy is you know, just shine a light right. in a different direction, isn't it? You know, to, right. To, to sort of like you as you put it just show things that have perhaps been left behind a little bit which, well, is, the real, which a, is the real depth to it isn't it which is why it's so fascinating well it's all yeah it's also really it's that's that's sort of part of the fun you know when i was when i left surfer and i went to 
to Berkeley, I, I majored in history. So I wasn't, again, I wasn't a scholar, but, but I learned enough in those two years to know that, um, you know, by and large, we're, you're, it's almost always worthwhile to go back and test to see uh, if the version of events that we've chosen to uh, accept is, you know, sort of holds up. And, and again, not to, I don't want to, I don't want to stay there, but, you know, our, this, our own country right now with, you know, with what's happening with uh, renaming things that were associated with the, uh, with the Confederacy, the Civil War, or all these statues that are being uh, yanked down. You know, we're, we are right now doing a revision. We're in the process of doing a revision on our own history of this country, you know? So, and, and, you know, in a, on a micro, a micro version, uh, we, we can do the same with, with surf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that conversation just speaks to the power of it, doesn't it? The importance of it, you know, the, the, and that's why it's so fascinating yeah. right now, this, if, this atmosphere, this, this general atmosphere and why it's filtering down to things like surfing. But, you know, to, and then to sort of, and then to say, well, but, but to bring it back to Encyclopedia of Surfing, um, I'm not actually spending much time with my historian uh, uh, hat on because I'm prancing around writing a Sunday joint that is just me, you know, channeling Charlie Smith, or I'm um, <laughs> making a video and where I'm just spending three days just trying to pull together uh, six minutes of Tom Curran sent to a set to a Robin Trower song. It's like it, and, and that's part of it. That's frustrating because I would love to spend more time doing what we're talking about with the history, but also I've got to make a video clip and I have to put up a, uh, an, an interview and I have to do the Sunday joint and then all day Monday, I'm just zinging emails back and forth with people. Cause I looks, well, I like doing it, but it's also, it's, you know, it's, I'm also running a small business, you know? So it's, it's, it's an interesting career because, and I suppose it's kind of pretty particular to this age that we're in where uh, you have to be sort of a, a small one man, one woman uh, operation onto yourself to make this work. But uh, I, you know, I find it fascinating to have to just shift to go to all these different places in the course of a week. Um I love doing it, but I also miss like when I did history of surfing, I think I spent, um, I think that was four years where all I was doing was thinking about surf history. And I, yeah, I remember finishing that book. Um, and we, you've probably seen the cover. It's those two guys laying on the beach, looking out at an empty wave. The history of surfing cover had just come together. Um, about the time that I finished the second draft, I think and the cover was so good and I was so happy to have just run through my version of, of the sport, you know, from 2000 years ago to the year 2000, I think it was or something. And, um, I just, I was glad to, I was glad to have it done. I go, that's it. I'm, I don't want to sort of do that anymore. I, I don't, I don't want to have to spend that much time trying to make this all fit and, and sort of figure it out and figure out the, as best I could, knowing that, you know, knowing that, again, the minute the minute that book published, you know, new things are coming up and there's new angles to take on stuff. And I've done a little bit of that. I did a little bit of that when I posted all the history chapters on the website. I went through and kind of 
fixed and altered and and uh, and added to the chapters that I'd written. But um, I don't feel at all like I, when I see myself referred to as a surfing historian, I always cringe a little because. <laughs> Again, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're doing a thing like the Sunday Join or if you're making a video, just it's, surf history feels like way back there on the resume most of the day. Yeah, you know? but when you're when you're doing something like you're doing though, which you, you know, obviously you've got you've got to enjoy, it, haven't you? You know, you've got to like, you've got to just you've set this up yourself, you're funding it yourself, you're doing it all yourself. Like you, I'm a big believer in the fact that you, you you're allowed to just you know flip between things that, that interest you and 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 call it a job you know I mean? well it's <laughs> but it's this it's this weird period right i mean um what i'm doing wouldn't have you know that there wouldn't there still kind of isn't a real job description for it but to be a one-man more or less show uh doing all these things i've just talked about when it's you know it's video and it's photo editing and it's and it's uh running the business and it's and it's being an historian and a archivist and all that it it's it's yeah it's weird it's it's um I, it, it seems like uh i almost don't even know don't know how to describe it except you know it's it's website owner and which means you just sort of do do all of it and i do love all of it but it, it also gets some days you just uh feel a bit overwhelmed um and again it, maybe that's my age I, like i said i just turned 60 but mostly again because i can always plead um i can always plead that the job will never be done and i'm a little bit overwhelmed i just choose to do whatever i feel like, feel like doing that day because it doesn't yeah. matter no one's gonna no one's gonna notice if i don't fix um the if i don't go back in and fix the mick fanning uh <laughs> piece on eos because it's really it's really it's five years yeah. out of date it doesn't i'm you know i just shrug my shoulders and say well i was too busy doing the join or i was too busy making the video and da, da, da. so anyway i i it yeah as i say i love it um it does feel like a lot of times like it's just an endless broken field run. I'm zigging left and running backwards and doing yeah. flips and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess you must have been tempted over the years to, to think of expanding it. Or has that never been in a consideration? Well, I've expanded it a lot of times. It was uh, when it went up. I think it went up in 2013 when I first pushed it from dev to live. It was just the encyclopedia. I, so I then, mean, as a, as an operation, though, you know, with like getting staff and, and oh and, yeah yeah no, I think about that all the time, and it's just like I can't. It, it's I I'd have to pay so I, you know I pay myself twenty five thousand dollars a year to do this, and I pay my my partner Mark gets twenty five thousand dollars a year to do this, and then my part time guy. Brad gets 500 bucks a month, you know, he's, and, and that's it. And like to pay anybody a real salary, like if I wanted to bring somebody in to do, um, uh, I mean, somebody ought to be doing, I, I don't have any sort of marketing program. I don't have anybody like it's a nonprofit. There ought to be somebody just in charge of fundraising, right? That, but I'd have to pay somebody enough money to pay their own salary and then put some extra, I, I can't, I can never make the numbers add up to where I could pay someone in order to uh, have them make enough money to basically pay themselves and put a little bit more into the, our bottom line. It's, it's, yeah, no, I can't, I can't imagine staffing up. And I've had some volunteers do work, um, and I 
find that for the most part that doesn't work. People get stoked up. People are pretty regularly say, I'd love to help. What can I do? And um, there's a bit of a curve just to bring them up to speed to, to be able to do any kind of data entry. And then, um, you know, if, if people aren't getting paid, eventually when they're, something else comes up that they want to do, they're, and that, I'm, I'm always really appreciative, but usually it sort of all tails off. And unless you're paying them, you can't say anything about it, right? I mean, yeah, so, I, I, I see a classic intern dilemma, isn't it? You know, I, it, it, I've actually got a brilliant intern for this right now, but uh, well, I've actually had the last two have been great. Um, but yeah, it, it, it almost becomes another thing you need to worry about, doesn't it? Right. And and and, it, and like I, I just think it's it becomes something else, doesn't it? And I guess that's what I'm getting at. You know, you've created this thing, which appears to be the perfect like nexus of all your interests, and get to make a living from it get to explore all these different um areas and ideas that's and that's that's great isn't it you know it doesn't, doesn't have to become like this huge operation no, it, i i never ever thought it was going to be um uh, a real money maker I, I i did think and i still do think that it could pay me double what it's paying me now i could make fifty thousand dollars a year you know i would like yeah. that it, but but i just you know the first thought i had when it when I was sort of conceptually thinking, well, what does a website like this want to be is I, I knew it wasn't going to be, uh, there, were, there would be no ads on it. I, I really, and that was sort of just personal. I can't stand, uh, I can't stand clicking off the banners or, or, or dealing with, with the ads. And, and the first way that I thought it would pay for itself is that I would just have a single presenting sponsor, which Surfer Magazine did for, I think, three years. And that was great. Surfer Magazine, I, this was before it was a subscription service. Surfer had it was Surfer Magazine presents Encyclopedia Surfing, and they didn't they didn't put, they weren't allowed to put ads on the site. And part of that deal was I, I they they wanted me to do a little bit of writing for the magazine, which I did. And but and I think I think EOS at that point had a lot of links over to Surfer, so um, it was a really great three year thing. And then uh, the mag industry cratered, and, and that deal went away. Yeah, and so on and so forth. That leads me to the subscriber model, which I think is the—I really think—is the way to go. Um, I love knowing who I'm working for at all times. In other words, I never have to—I don't—I never wanted to go out and have to deal with keeping advertisers. I, that's not even was never even in my thought that I could that I could you know, maintain a. Uh, well, it have just advertisers. Becomes, it just just becomes different, doesn't it? You know. It's but, like, see again it's, if. if it's that that first of all, I didn't you know aesthetically, I didn't want the site to have ads on it, but it's also like again, that's a place where that's a different job, right? And I and I've already got enough sort of jobs here, and so was I going to hire a person that was going whose sole responsibility was going to be you know ad director for EOS? That it seemed you know that wasn't out of the I mean, that that's how you'd have to do it. I wouldn't anyway. That was never actually that viable. So the subscription service thing was the way to go. I, I'm happy with that model. It's just it's just sort of a slow building thing and it, it's slow building in part because I'm not out there um, flogging it I don't have I'm not doing any promotions uh, for the site I can barely I can barely do a post at each week on on insta just to let people know that I'm still doing this you know and so um, the 2,000 subscribers I have um, I think that's by and large been a lot of word of mouth people who like the site and who like the joint especially um, tell their friends and you know, I get a, I get a few new subscribers uh, 
each week. And it is, you know, having it be small also means that I can sort of stay in touch with people. Um, um, it's, it's not, it's, it's at a, it's stable right now. It feels good. Um, if the subscriber base doubled soon, that would be fantastic. And yeah. I, I, and I think that's going to happen. Do you know that, um, Kevin Kelly essay, 1000 true fans He's the, it's, the wide, the wide, he said it wired. Um, yeah. From a few years ago, I, how long ago was it? I think that, I think that probably is about 15 years old that I say, but yeah, I just yeah. really, I just really like that idea of, you know, you don't need to hit the jackpot. You don't need to never get, right. get a record deal, get a publishing deal, get this big nope. permission from, you know, the higher authority that's going to suddenly make all your dreams come true. Like it's, it's actually fine just to develop a small community that can, you know, that you can give value to and also they can enable you to, to do what what you what you're good at and what you want to do i mean it's it's just it's it's completely fine and you know you don't you don't need to do anything more than that i, well, I, and, I think yeah and and i think like you know to what to that end exactly is that is that when um i was unable to get a presenting sponsor after surfer left and i had this uh i had a fundraiser and i had and i switched over to the subscription thing it became really clear to me after the very first, I did a fundraiser called, it was like, it was save EO, it was SOS EOS or something I was gonna say, because the site at that point was really close to closing. I, I'd had a little money in the bank that I'd gone through to support the site. And now all of a sudden it was really close to being <clears throat> unsustainable. So I think it was two and a half years ago, save my website and people really rallied. And I kept thinking, God, somebody is going to, one of these, one of these big dick surf guys is going to think, God, Warshaw's doing worthy a worthy thing here. I should just give him a hundred grand, you know, and keep it going. And that didn't happen. I got a couple of anonymous people gave me a grand, but the I think I raised, um, I think I raised, I'm forgetting now. I think it was sixty grand or something. Um, anyway, it was by and large uh, twenty five dollar. $10, $50 people just throwing these, you know, what, what they had shaking out, shaking out the change that they could spare, you know, digging into the couch cushions and stuff. And, and there was a moment when that uh, really successful fundraiser finished um, that it was really clear to me that this is who the, this is who I do. I'm not going to, I don't want to look for a sponsor. I don't want to have a presenting sponsor. And I, you could say, well, of course you're saying that now. It's after you didn't get one, and but it also, it also, it made it made it, it made it a lot simpler. It made it clear. It was really clear in my head that if the only people that you, the only entity that you have to sort of worry about are the subscribers, that actually makes it easier. Like I don't want to have to. The whole thing with Surfer when that was going on was sort of there was this thing in my, in the back of my head going, God, what happens if, uh, what happens if Surfer goes away? You know, that money goes away, and I thought, oh, that'll never happen. It's Surfer Magazine. You know, there's it's it's and that was me just not seeing that i i wasn't yeah, really right. paying attention to what was happening in print at that point and yeah. then surfing surfing uh surfing went tits up and all of a sudden i was going wow is is that could that possibly happen to surfer and then you know next thing i knew they were politely telling me that they weren't going to renew the contract you know so i didn't ever want to have to be in a place where i was scrambling to try to fill the um the revenue stream and you know, it turns out that with 2,000 subscribers, uh, I can keep it going uh, as is. 
And um, again, I, I'd so love to have 2,000 more, but it's it's actually okay right now. And who knows, you know, I'm, we're talking about making uh, EOS t-shirts and mugs, and maybe there'll be a little added revenue from um, flogging stuff on, um, you know, drop shipping a bright orange EOS mug to uh, to people for uh, for a, uh, a contribution to a good cause. So we'll see. I don't know. There's a few ways that we can maybe bump the money up, but for the most part, I'm pretty stoked to have the uh, I'm pretty stoked to have the uh, the support that I've got, and especially like I say, it, it, every Monday when I get this flood of emails about the joint, it seems uh, in a way that I never had when I was at Surfer Magazine or when I was writing books or freelancing articles, I've got this, I've got a straight direct connection to whoever wants to write into me after, you know, the joint or any other time that uh, weekly reminds me who I'm doing this for. Which is brilliant. And I mean, like you say, you can't, if it was bigger, you'd lose that, wouldn't you? And, and right. presumably right. that's one of the things that makes it what it is as a community. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, no so, complaints. In terms of the the research, you know, you know, we're, we're we're kind of talking about this almost like as a like a detective story in a lot of ways, like the digging, the history. Um, I'm actually a pretty obvious one, but have you got a favorite kind of chapter or story that you've that you've uncovered that really stands out in this in this what is essentially like I said earlier, like a life's work? Um, no, I have favorite periods and I have favorite surfers and I have I guess favorite um, I have favorite um, sort of ideas about what surfing kind of is and this I wasn't trying to sort of veer this into a into the sort of wave pool thing but it seems like that's it's, it's a weird bug that wave pools are always kind of in my head a little bit um, and when I think I, I like when I'm able to kind of get a grasp on what if there's a sort of a, um, a a really foundational thing about what it means to be a surfer, and I suppose that that always leads me back to that post war, <clears throat> post World War II period on the beach at Malibu, when nobody's much paying attention, and things are sort of getting back to normal, and and a handful of surfers are 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 working on the boards that really get us from um, to where we are now. In other words, before the war, it was mostly big, wide-tailed, heavy planks, mostly going straight, a little bit of angling. And then not long after the war, you've got a board that looks similar to the longboards that followed with big fins and they're starting to do, you know, hot angles and you see people starting to turn. And there was just this period right after the war where, um, um, let's go to Malibu. Let's work on these hot rod boards we're doing in Balsa with, you know, fiberglass. Uh, they didn't have fiberglass before the war. They, they weren't using them on boards. And I think also let's, Let's sort of figure out. Let's let's do this because uh, it's just really fun. Let's not be lifeguards anymore. Let's uh, let's not associate with. Let's not be club. We don't have to have a club. It was just this period on the beach, close to L.A. And I, I've always, you know I was born in L.A. and I've got a sort of huge soft spot in my heart for what it meant to live in L.A. Uh, mid-century. 
And not just the fun of it, but also kind of the sacrifice that if you were going to surf a lot, you had to make these choices. Well, I'm not going to take that job that my parents want me to take, or I'm going to do this despite the fact that my teachers are telling me, what do you, you know, why, why didn't you go out for the football team? And I just like that you had to sort of make a conscious decision to surf a lot, uh, that, that there were no, there were no, there was no outside sort of influences telling you, uh, you know, putting stickers on things or telling you how to do it or, or sort of, there was no filter really. So it was this culture that kind of invented itself right after World War II. Um, and uh, I, I just, I just, and I also like that even then it was, it was difficult. You still had to get yourself to the beach. You still had to figure out when and where to surf and who uh, to sort of stay away from and, and, uh, and who to hang out with and all this. And, and, and it just meant, it just means a lot to me to think that that's sort of what the surfing experience was for me also in the decades that sort of followed, like you had to sort of commit to it. Um, and that it wasn't actually all fun. You had to, it was something that you always had to sort of work really hard at. Like if you started surfing at Malibu in 1947, it took three years. Like, you know, I think Sam George said, you know, you have to surf for three years just to get out of being a kook, you know? And I, that, that kind of amount of effort that you have to put into it, um, I think it's great. I think it's, I don't think it's supposed to be easy. So anyway, I contrast that with, uh, this thought that I have about, you know, what surfing will be like in a, in a wave pool era where, um, you know, little kids who have been surfing just for a little while, but happen to know the right people are getting 10 second tube rides at surf ranch because, uh, they were able to get to surf ranch and ride waves that were better and longer and hollower than anything I surfed in 50 years, you know? So it's like, it's like that, that, you know, the, 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 that, uh, to, to bring that precision, to bring that repetition and the mechanics of it, to bring all that science to bear, to bring all that machinery to bear. Um, I mean, that's the air, that's the age we're in or heading toward. And it, it really, uh, it, 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 it gets in my head all the time. Um, and I, you know, again, I, I, so I, mostly because I feel that, that, that to, to, to do this thing that, that we love so much, I think is to, um, have to really work at it. And, and, and again, there, it's all this joy and all this fun and all this beauty comes, but you have to put a lot into it to sort of get that. And, and I do think that the wave pool fundamentally uh, doesn't alter it breaks that it actually just smashes that whole sort of notion of what it means to be a surfer so i don't know if that's a sky is falling kind of thing like you know for all i know well, it's, maybe, it's, maybe... it's it's so interesting i mean so you surfed the surf ranch didn't you and i did uh, and you wrote about it and i i mean my take on your story was like it's great by reject it essentially you know like it, it it is a brilliant experience but for me it isn't it, you know, as you've just described your vision of surfing, it isn't that. I guess the obvious thing to say about that, though, is, you know, those days are gone. Like that, that is, that, that isn't, you know, this like romantic foundational myth of surfing. Obviously, there's a, it's a hugely appealing picture that you've just painted. And I think anybody can, can really like, you know, hunger for that vision of surfing. But, you know, that, that isn't where we are now. And like, so, so I, I guess it, it is always going to change, 
Like, so how, how, how far do you have to cling? At what point do you have to let that go? I don't know. I mean, I, I, what made, what made it, what made it romantic, what made it, what made the whole thing beneath all of the romance and the adventure was that that wave, those moments, um, that we all sort of were chasing after as surfers were only available by putting in all the, the years and the work and the, and, and all the effort. That was the only way you could get a wave. Um, that would be something that would stick with you forever was to, you know, to stalk it and to, and to work at it. And so you can still say, well, I'm just going to keep doing that. You know, uh, I'm not going to surf the pools, but on the other hand, um, I'm not so sure that, you know, teenage me would choose to, why, you know, why would I, I got, you know, the three best surf trips that I ever had all came one after the other in the early 2000s. And I'd been going on surf trips at that point for, uh, I guess, 30 years or something, right? Yeah. And I had a few okay ones, but all of a sudden they had three in a row, bam, 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 just incredible waves. Um, one in El Salvador, uh, one in Baja, and I went on a boat trip. And it's like, it's like, that was my, that was sort of my, uh, my much delayed, uh, payoff for all that time. It felt, you know, that's, that's, again, that's the narrative I choose to put on it now, but like all those trips that were okay, some, some were really shitty. I mean, I went all the way to Australia when I was 21 and I didn't, you know, for two weeks and didn't get a single good session. It was just, I got a lot of fun sessions, but nothing. I'd been waiting to go to Australia for years and I went and it was just sort of not that great. And, and, you know, eventually I did have these three amazing trips in a row and, and then I get to surf ranch that time and I, I looked at the first wave and I thought, God, I've never in my life seen a wave in the wild anywhere near that, that good. And that's just, a, I found that really defeating and, def- and deflating. It kind of meant for me, it felt like, why, like, why would you choose if you were a kid coming up and this just imagine that there were surf ranches sort of everywhere. Like, you know, am I going to go, uh, chase down waves and um, in some, you know, country far away um, in hopes that it'll get good and the crowd won't be there and I'll get my share and, and, you know, all this. Or would I just sign up for uh, a season's pass the way everyone here in Seattle signs up for a season pass at, uh, at the local, at the local ski resort? You know, I, I don't, I feel like the, the it's, it's romantic and, and adventurous because that was how you had to get, waves uh in the past and that's no longer the case now there's two ways there's two ways to get a great wave and one of them is a hundred times more difficult than the other so um you know to say to somebody a long time ago uh what was the best wave you ever rode and i well I, you know it came i'd been surfing for whatever it was 30 years and i finally uh i finally got to go to uh these islands off off of indonesia and stay on a wooden boat uh, for 10 days and float around and, you know, and it was amazing. And like, and I know that, you know, the end the boat trip itself is, is um, a little bit of a silver platter thing. Right. But you can still go get, it's still pretty easy to get skunked in the, in the men's wise. And you're still dealing with actual reef and you're still de- dealing with other, other uh, with crowds and with flat spells and with weird weather and sickness and all that. And, 
you know, I flew into, uh, I flew into uh, whatever it is, Stockton and drove to Lemoore and, uh, or Fresno, I guess it is. And you check into that shitty uh, hotel casino and the six, the six perfect waves that I was allotted, um, you know, all six of them were better than anything I'd surfed in my whole life. I didn't, I didn't surf them well. I didn't even make some of them, but like just seemed, uh, it was, it was really, it was, it, it was a, uh, it was a really disturbing, it was disturbing, you know, and it's, and I, and I will admit that when the last wave, when my last of my six waves was finished, I, I really, I would have, um, thrown my wallet at whoever was standing on the side <laughs> of the pool and said, take all my cards and just give me 10 more waves. You know, I really yeah. wanted to keep doing it. And that, that also was disturbing. You know, there was no, so anyway, um, well, what, so what how did we, they, well, a quick question on that, if that's all right, how did they react to yeah. the story? Cause obviously, I don't think I, know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I did. I did a, I don't know why, I don't or, even know or, why I was picked to go on that because all I had was, I think there was a period where they were just inviting anyone from surf media in to, to write about it, but I didn't actually have an assignment for anybody. I did a piece on it in EOS, which uh, I don't know how many people saw it. And then I did a bunch of interviews, I think, with Beach Grid and some other people where I said much of what I've just said to you. Yeah, so, which I think is where I kind of right. got, the, got the gist, you know. But I just, I, I, you know, when you look at Kelly's thing, Surf Ranch, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's obviously at the very extreme end of that development in surfing let's say you know clearly it's unattainable it's very expensive right. as you as you rightly say it's in the middle of fucking nowhere you know that like it and then uh, here we've got a couple in the uk we've got one in wales and we've got one in bristol and i've surfed them both and what was really interesting about that was so when i went to the one in wales one of the things that actually blew my mind was there was portuguese and spanish surfers there who'd flown from wow. from the algarve where obviously right. there's amazing waves they'd flown to liverpool and they'd driven to this wave and i and hey it's all very friendly obviously and i was like oh where are you boys from this and they said this i was like what the fuck are you doing here right. and they said oh it's our fourth trip and i was like you're kidding because you know everything all me and my friends we go we go to portugal <laughs> <laughs> obviously right and, um, right and i was like well wh why you know like because i was there to review it for a british newspaper so obviously i was like well this is kind of interesting why and they said well it's not crowded and it's mechanical so we just get to you know we get wave after wave after wave i was like okay so that's a, a usage of this that i certainly didn't foresee uh and then there was then and then it was like an instructor guy who basically was doing a season you know he was just using it to get get his air reverses down right um, and then i contrast that with bristol now i've actually interviewed um nick who is the the kind of i don't think visionary is too strong a word because it's been his life's work to get this thing off the ground and you know for nick from having spoken to him this is an egalitarian vision of surfing you know this is this is a way of making it accessible he is a surfer he's an evangelist he believes in the power of surfing he, he believes all that stuff and he really sees it as a very positive contribution to surf culture because he sees it as, as, as like, like I say, like a unifying thing. Um, and I think 
I would definitely position that that I think that's a different thing from the surf ranch. Um, insofar in, in you know, like I wouldn't I, I don't have an opinion on like I surfed Bristol, it was really good fun. You know, it was great, it was absolutely freezing, it was very, it was pretty easy wave to surf, you know. No, um, I, I was all it, set it, to it, go. I, yeah, I, w- I was going to go this summer with with Mark, my my EOS partner. We were, I was looking forward you to it. Ah, yeah, yeah, right. and, then, and then COVID canceled it. So, I, you're right. I I was speaking mostly about Surf Ranch there just a second ago, and I think that what what sort of freaks me out there is that you've outdone, you've literally outdone nature. So what what the Waco pool and Bristol and um, yeah, so it's not done. Yeah, like the, 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 it, these, the, yeah. It doesn't seem like there, there, there's there doesn't seem to be this. Um, it doesn't seem head to head. Where you look at you know this the, the surf ranch thing, um, where where you've you've put up a wave where you've outdone Cape St. Francis from Endless Summer, which is still sort of this standard for the long perfect wave, or you've outdone Kira, or you've yeah. Outdone, I, mean, like that's, I, I actually watched it again recently, just just to watch that section again. You know, like exactly like yeah. I, I think I think with with the surf ranch, there's almost something. This probably sounds like a ludicrous word to use, but it's almost something kind of like diabolical about it, isn't there? Right. You know, the fact that the fact that they've made this thing, which is so exemplary, as you say, well, beyond the, nature, and then made it so inaccessible. You, it's, yeah, yeah, the di- oh, the, yeah, that the access part of it, and the, you know, the environmental part of it is is another thing we haven't talked about. But also, it's like, like, um, I remember during one of the contests they had, and the idea that a a, a ten second too bright is a throwaway score. Like just what you've done to this thing that <laughs> yeah, that, that what is you've funny. done to this thing that you that we all like. That was that's just heart. That's heartbreaking, right? I mean, somebody a 10 second tube. If if you could snip that one of those throwaway scores and then put it in a uh, a Kai Neville film from 10 years ago, that would be the thing we'd all be talking about. Oh my God, where is that? And and it was just a nothing, a nothing way, like a nothing score on that. And that just ah, oh, that's that just seemed it was just really sad. Uh, yeah, the implications and, of that are, 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 are yeah, they're perplexing, aren't they? Really? Yeah. So. But but you know it's funny because when I when I first saw the uh, the Waco wave, which um, side note, a really good friend of mine from high school, his brother developed the tech for that, Bruce McFarland. So um, that's the American Wave Company, I think, American Wave Machine Company, whatever it's called. Anyway, Waco with the way that they were just sort of throwing those two waves together to make the wedge, and that there were three waves coming at a time, and that if you, you're out there with some friends, it looked like mostly just sort of fucking around. Like you're, you paddle back out, you, there's a lot of waves and it just seemed like kind of a frenzy. That looked great to me like that. Cause that wasn't yeah. trying to be, that wasn't trying to be uh Kira or, 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 or Cape St. Francis. It just was its own weird thing. And yeah, no, that, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Cause one of the funny things about Bristol is there's a guy in the water who calls you in, which is yeah. so odd. You know, you line, yeah. you, you line, you line up, and then there's a guy there, and he goes, "Right, you go." And it's like right. you've got—I think you get to have, I think you get two goes at a wave because there's a lot of a lot of beginners on the waves, a lot of right. intermediates, fine, right. whatever. But they're obviously kind of not catching it, so that, so they've had to put this rule in, which is, um, you get two goes at it. If you don't catch it, you've got to get out of the way. Right. So, but yeah, just the idea that you've got a guy in the water saying, "Okay," like basically just 
circumventing the entire idea of a lineup right. is, is, you know a very, is a very strange experience. But what you, were, what you were just inching up on saying there a minute ago, Matt, was, um, and I'm really, really aware of this, is like, um, there isn't going to be, I think, a universal take on sort of what surfing should be or what, or what surfing is. I mean, for kids starting surfing now, it's not going to be, I thought there were these sort of core fundamental things about what surfing is. And this is what, what, I, what you were asking me earlier about what I think about as I'm doing sort of surf history. I'm looking for those things that make that seem to make surfing unique and different. And that's why I sort of spend so much time thinking about this. Like, isn't the difficulty of it and isn't the, the knowledge of, of what it takes to be able to surf well and to surf a lot and to surf many different kinds of ways. Like, that seems like why it's a why this the sport is what it is and and that may not be true anymore that may not be that the beginning of the end of that way of looking at surfing might have ended the days kelly dropped that first clip of uh of, of surf ranch because you've just so shifted um the fundamental thing of this which is waves you've you've taken the waves out of the environment that you know, the sport was born in and put into this different, into this different thing. And that's going to create a different sport. And maybe there'll be two forms of surfing or, um, I don't know, you know, again, maybe things will happen that I can't even foresee. I, you know, I won't, I won't lie. Like there was something when this, when you're looking for silver linings, when, when, when lockdown started, I was just thinking, God, that's going to fuck up all of those, all of those, uh, uh, proposals and all those projects, you know, that, are coming down they were all sort of in the works for wave pools and if it all got put off for another 10 years that wouldn't um that would not wouldn't break my heart at all well i guess my final question you know one of the things we've not really talked about is the physical side of surf history you know there's there's obviously a huge market these days in terms of memorabilia and boards and and you know those physical relics is that is that something that you're I mean, I'm sure you must come across it a lot, but is that something that you're engaged in at all? No, not not in the least. In fact, I suppose almost the opposite. Because when I when I get surf magazines, I haven't been I haven't been collected for a while because I've got kind of most of what I want. But I do this thing that um, collectors, I think, would would uh, tar and feather me for. I I get them hardbound, which means I'll take a volume. And you send them off to a book bindery, and they slice off the they slice off the um, the part of the magazine, you know, right where they're stapled, and they glue all the magazines together. So you've got you know a a book with twelve issues inside of it, which I think yeah. immediately I don't know if it destroys the value of the magazine, but it it greatly reduces them. And I do that because otherwise the magazines disappear and everything. So no, I have zero zero interest in the in uh like you know i don't i don't collect boards or magazines or posters or or anything like that yeah because i guess it's quite it's quite a growing thing isn't it i guess you know it's part of this sort of story collecting um it's definitely a growing growing thing but i'm the same like it's in 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 the kind of it's just something i've never particularly been that 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 interested I, I almost prefer the stories you know right. the 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 kind of and the 
the imagination, the imaginative side of it that comes with that, you know. Yeah, and the times that I've been to um, museums, Surfing Heritage Culture Center and stuff, and, you know, we can get your get your hands on the boards. I, I, there's a little something to that, I suppose. But um, uh, I don't know. You know, at some point, I think it was, this is probably another dumb thing I did, but I think it was seven or eight years ago, I took all these journals that I'd, that I'd, I'd kept when I was in my 20s and stuff and just tossed them all. Like, I don't, um, that's a different, that's a different thing. I, I, I remember just reading these things going, oh my God, what a whiny, what a whiny little uh, high school. Like, I just sounded like a high school, even though I was like 28. And like, you know, what a whiny, complainy. I just threw them away, all away and I felt great. And, and my, my wife will always get on my cases when we do house cleaning. I'm, I'm, I'm always the one who is likely to, add hugely to the throwaway or the goodwill pile. I just want to sort of clear it all out. Um, but that said, like when it comes down to doing what I do, um, the further, usually the further I can go back to get source material. So I've, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a paid subscriber to newspaper.com and I just did a whole run uh, on EOS a couple of months ago where I, I put up pages for all of the Makaha International Surf Contests, which went from, I think, I think 53, 1953 to I think 1972. And for me, it was fascinating to, to uh, go back and read the Honolulu newspaper accounts of those contests rather than the surf magazine accounts of the contest, you know, because you're finding out, you know, what land developer was the big sponsor of all those events. And uh, to get the, uh, the non-surfing, the non-surfers perspective on, those contests was really was really interesting and also you know to get the to get the view of the event um from the day after it happened versus a few weeks after written from a you know written from a, a an actual reporter's view so um i have a, a bottomless thirst for uh the source material but i have zero interest in the things the the physical thing, like I, I would never want to have the newspapers or I don't even, you know, even if I could get rid of all these magazines that I have here on my shelves and have everything scanned, that would be fine. But I can't yeah. do that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I often wonder if collecting is just about an imagined life as well. You know, the life that you would like to have, but probably, you know, like I've collected books my whole life and, yes, you know, they're, they're kind of, in boxes in the in the roof you know my wife's always like what, what are you gonna do with those right <laughs> it's like it's like oh yeah you know it's when when we get the library <laughs> right right <laughs> and she's always like yeah we're never gonna have the library my, my wife's know. the same my wife my wife collects first editions of of old books and um i i don't know i suppose i i don't know where that i don't know where that where that comes from i i certainly i really value and, and love all the old photos i've got from you know my life and and um, I've got my, my mom died a couple of years ago and I got all the old family photo albums that are right behind me. And, um, I, I guess now I'm going to counter what I just said a se second ago, because I love having those in the albums and not in the, uh, uh, I haven't digitized them yet. And, uh, it, it, there is something to the smell of the paper and how fragile it, I suppose just the, how fragile it is where I'm, uh, it means a lot to me that. Um, you have to treat it really carefully, and whenever I open those albums up, you know it's the it's the photos themselves, and it's also 
um, somehow uh, the, the physical bit of it, everything sort of turning yellow and getting uh, ripped up at the edges. Uh, I like all of that. Or it, or it, I don't know if I like it all, but it all means something to me, even if I can't really uh, define what it means. But it wouldn't be the same if it was on my, uh, on my uh, MacBook Pro here. Yeah, no, that's true. But you said you got rid of your records. I did. You know, I I was telling you earlier when I moved, I kept moving. I moved from San Clemente up to Oakland and then back to L.A. and then back to San Francisco. And by the time I got back to San Francisco, this was all within about, this was all within like three years. I was so tired of lugging all my LPs around in these, in these crates. And... Um, most of the stuff I'd already gotten replaced on, you know, on CD or something. And I just, I, I just had an afternoon once and I drove to the dump and literally flung all of my LPs oh. I've been collecting since I was a kid off into the dump. Just And it felt, again, oh, it, felt, it, felt, it felt so good. But there was a point later where I thought, God, you know, I, I, could, have, I could have probably at least you know, sold them or something. But I don't know. I, I've never kept old surfboards. Um, I, I like just flushing it all out so if i had those lps i would have just sold them and it would have you know it would have been a few hundred bucks in my pocket or something but i you know no big no big deal i'm not i'm not too attached to uh i'm not too attached to any of that stuff yeah so do you think when it when it lifts you're still going to plan plan a trip you said you you were planning a a trip over here maybe is that still well yeah so there's there's yeah there's a couple of things that um the the return the return of my cold water surfing days. I think I'm going to keep that up because again, partly, like I say, my friend, my friend Jeremy makes it so easy. You know, he swings by and picks me up and I'm a big, um, soft palmed, like my Jeremy goes out and fishes and he catches, uh, crabs and he does all this stuff. And I, I've never been any kind of an outdoorsman or everything. And so, um, I get, <laughs> I get really well taken care of, and like, here's your here's your board, Matt, and here, and he and he, you know, he, I get out of the water, and he unzips me, and he hands me a flask of whiskey, and da da da. So it's like I I'm like I'm like a uh, I'm sort of almost like a this special case that he has to look this flower, this hot house flower that he takes care of. So I can't well not do that, you know. And so I'm gonna keep surfing yeah. up here a little bit. I definitely want to keep uh, as soon as I get my vaccine. As soon as I get my vaccine, I'm gonna go somewhere warm. And, uh, uh, and spend a week. And I, when I, when I do those trips, you know, I, early on when Teddy was born, we did a couple of trips, family trips where it was like combined family and surf. And they were, they were just disastrous. Like I couldn't, I wasn't right. surfing well because I was trying to, I was thinking about Jody and Teddy. And then when I was with them, I really wanted to be surfing. So, um, we've done family trips and I've done a few surf trips and I want to go, you know, by myself and just be as selfish as I was before I got married. So I do want to get my vaccine and go somewhere warm and surf some gentle, some gentle waves and hope I can get that one spot. Like I was talking about earlier where I can still glide and, and do a turn and kick out and feel good about, uh, my standing. Like I, like I want to, I want to, uh, just sort of keep my state, my, my good standing in the world of, 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 of the active surfer. Um, and then, yeah, I do, I yeah. definitely, I, I, all this time I'm, I'm, I just turned 60 and I've never been to the UK, which is, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, wow. I know. Really? So never oh, you gotta come over. I know, no doubt. And, and again, like part of, and, and 
just completely going against what I said a minute ago about the wave pool, but like Mark's been to the Bristol pool like three times and he's had a blast and, and he said, you know, I'm going to get a few of my friends and we're going to, he, he lives not far from there and we, we're going to just go, um, you know, sign up for a, a morning or an afternoon session at the pool. And I was really looking forward to that. I just wanted to get in the water with Mark and, and fuck around and, um, and see how it goes. And, and, uh, um, yeah, so more travel for sure. And, and, and that actually is going to be a trip I'm going to do with Jody and Teddy because, uh, Teddy hasn't been to, uh, the UK either. So that'll happen, you know, maybe this time next year. What? I'm sorry, Matt, where are you? What, what part, where are you? Um, uh, I'm in Brighton. I'm on the South coast. That's so funny. So we are like an hour South of London. It's, it's so funny because for the first, uh, I've known Mark for, I think three or four years and, up until just about six months ago, I kept saying that he lived in Brighton because I get I got Brighton and Bristol confused because they yeah, both they both, the, they both start with B, so why not, right? And and he finally gently yeah, well they're quite they're quite similar. They got they got they're both sort of you know um, anti-establishment little hotbeds, Brighton and Bristol. All right, so. well, I would love to uh, I'd love to go um, see both. And again, I'm I'm uh, we're going to have a car and we're going to be driving around and anything that'll you know anything there is going to fascinate me because i've again i haven't been so i hope this time next oh, year well, please please look me up i mean i'd love to love to catch up in person and love to yeah. i mean i was gonna say take you surfing here but i'm not <laughs> not sure that's that maybe go for a pint that might yeah be, no that's that that's make more sense it's what i do yeah it's like people come visit me i said we're gonna go we're gonna i live in seattle so we have to go get coffee somewhere and i i, I absolutely will drink every pint that's placed in front of me when I'm when yeah, I'm on nice. that trip, yeah. So, hopefully, hopefully they'll be they'll all, the pubs will be open again by then. Although actually, the pubs open at the time of recording uh, in three days, and it's you know us us British have a quite a unique relationship to the pub. So, the press are calling it Super Saturday, but, and um, I think I think every every emergency department of every hospital in the country is on is on standby so because i think the country's i think the country's gonna get pretty drunk on saturday well um the big reopening that we've done here over the past two or three months which as you know is just done a fucking u-turn and everything you know the cases are spiking but a lot of that they're saying has to do with uh you youngsters and i mean all you people like 45 and under just flocking to the bars right and everyone's doing what they do at bars and they're getting drunk and they're talking too close to each other. And, um, yeah. so, um, I think, I think that I'll take my pine outdoors. <laughs> yeah. I think that's my plan. I'm going to give it a few <laughs> more weeks. Well, Matt, thank you so much. I mean, what a pleasure. Um, so very quickly. So if people want to find out more, give it, give, give me the pitch. Where should they go? Uh, just EOS dot surf. And, uh, there's a uh, there's a uh, subscription page and there's a donation page and uh, you you can actually see quite a bit of the site without being a subscriber um, just by uh, clicking on any one of the images on the on the homepage and uh, yeah give it a spin and actually anyone who signs up gets two free weeks anyway so great what the hell well I um, I'll put it all in the show notes and um, and yeah make sure everyone can find it but thank you so much for taking the time that was that was a real treat I really and, uh, yeah look forward to that. I really Before enjoyed it. Pint. And I'll see you uh, I'll see you in uh, Brighton this time next year. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Take care, Matt. So there you go. That was me and Matt Warshaw. Hope you enjoyed it. I think that's a really nice companion piece to the Lauren Hill episode that. 
and I find Matt's thoughts on surf history and how recent developments like wave pools affect that a fascinating topic. As you probably gathered, I didn't completely agree with a lot of what Matt was saying, but you know, that's the name of the game, isn't it? Hearing different perspectives and try to understand different viewpoints. And obviously Matt is coming at this from a place of some authority. So I found that a really fascinating conversation and I'm very, very grateful to Matt for taking the time and for coming on the show with such generosity. I've been thinking about all this a lot in the last few weeks, partly because I'm writing about California and my own relationship to it for the forthcoming Looking Sideways book. And also because of the way the wider conversation has been going in the last few weeks, especially when it comes to the question, which stories should we actually be covering and giving a platform to? It's something that I chatted to Lauren about during our conversation. And it sounds ridiculous given I've been making such choices my entire working life, but I think I'm only just beginning to truly understand the power these choices have in shaping our collective perceptions and history and how that belated realisation is yet another manifestation of the privilege that is extant everywhere. And it's another example of the type of lazy assumption I've covered a fair bit in the last few episodes because it isn't just about the choices that you make. It's also about acquiescing to those choices as an observer as well. And also the choices that you don't make. Now, it doesn't matter what the topic, whether British history, something I've been reading about a lot recently, or surfing, every editorial or narrative decision you make helps to either underline or challenge a prevailing point of view. And there's power in that decision making and in these platforms. And there's a responsibility in those choices. Now, in that in that way, I find it fascinating really in hearing how guests such as Lauren or Matt make their choices and what those choices say about the culture especially when you consider how quickly they lead to positions and viewpoints becoming entrenched and hence gospel really like I say it's just something that I've been thinking about a lot over the last few weeks particularly in relation to the look inside Sideways California book because I realized there's a story that exists about California and its influence on action sports culture that is just completely accepted and it's certainly been a huge influence on my life and one of the revelations of my trip to California there was despite dedicating my life to that culture and the pursuit of this kind of idealized lifestyle and the ideals that are epitomized by that state it actually has nothing to do with me and it's something that I didn't really find that attractive or appealing when I was there. And it's something that me and Mikey Lay chatted about in our conversation a few months back, something that he said he'd experienced as a professional longboarder entering that kind of California scene. And I just think it's a bit of an interesting lens through which to look at this whole conversation. Like I say, something that I've been exploring while I've been writing this book and putting this book together. It's been fascinating thinking about it and also thinking about it in terms of the podcast and which guests I'm going to invite onto the show in future months and I think that's generally one of the most positive aspects of the entire conversation the last few months you can see that shift happening in real time you can see those choices being made and you can see different choices being made and that's only after a few weeks really and it's just really exciting to think about what's going to happen to the culture as more and more of these less canonical stories and voices are given a platform and you know we move away from this kind of 
Californian hegemony in this patriarchy, which is a term that Leo Baker, a future or maybe past guest, not sure when that one's going to come out, so I'm going to hedge my bets there. That's a phrase that Leo used in our conversation and I think is a, is a pretty apt one, really. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing what changes happen in the future and what contributions I can make to that, really. All right, that's enough for this one. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Bit of an epic, that one. I think we're on a couple of hours at this point. Thank you again to Matt for coming on the show. Very much looking forward to that beer when this is all done and dusted. Nice one. (laughs) 